it's fascinating kind of hearing the safe families thing because it, it actually ties in so well, not that we actually planned it that way. Well, not to my understanding, we planned it that way, but I, I, just looking at what I'm actually speaking about uh, just really ties in well. Um, we're working through uh, Timothy, first and second Timothy, um, in, in, a, in a very logical order. Um, and um, I, want to, I want to say this to you right at the start this morning. <clears throat> what is it that Paul considers so important in, these, in this passage I'm going to be reading you in just a tick, um, that he spends 14 verses advising Timothy about. 14 verses. So that's a large chunk of his letter, okay, this, this first letter to Timothy. Um, and you kind of might think, oh, yeah, it's going to be something about elders or it's going to be something about leadership or it's about false doctrine or about proper teaching. Well, I think you'd be surprised. I'm going to just hold on the tension just a little bit longer. <laughs> Let's just, I just want to quickly recap. So remember that Paul began the letter reminding Timothy to not get sidetracked by teaching that Verticum gave rise to mere speculation or fruitless discussion rather than instruction that produced a sincere faith in the church. That's what actually our teaching needs to be doing. It needs to be producing in each of us a sincere faith. What is that sincere faith? He spends much of the letter clarifying exactly what we should be looking for in good leaders. Both elders and deacons, as we heard last week, most of these qualities center on actually their behavior, their care for their family, and their conduct, okay, rather than just how good they are. Um, he's combating some serious attacks on the church in Ephesus which presents itself in the form of really off-the-wall doctrine that is completely contrary to sound teaching that Paul has laid in originally and has seared some consciences, forbidding marriage, abstaining from certain foods, etc. James 1.27 says, in, in talking about what is this, this godliness, and he says this, pure and undefiled Religion in the sight of our God and Father is this to visit the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Paul is wanting to make sure that Timothy makes the main thing the main thing. That true godliness is about taking care of your own family. True honoring, or as the NIV says, Proper recognition is about taking care of the elderly, the orphan, the widow, your mother and your father. It entails financially making sure that they are okay, both as an individual and as a church. So, today, we are going to look at how we are doing in this area. What does taking care look like? Who is responsible for whom? Has our Christianity strayed from Christ's understanding of godliness into something that more resembles some of the false teaching that was infecting the church in Ephesus? I know there may be many here 
that you actually have both your parents still alive. As a church, we don't have that many women who are widowed. But looking ahead, it will be something that we all have to face. We're going to read this scripture now, starting uh, in chapter 5. I'm going to start at verse 1. Okay. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left alone, all alone, puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, uh, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus, they bring judgment on themselves because they've broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. Not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things that they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have in fact already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. So this quite extensive passage, uh, he's actually thinking, you spent 14 of those 16 verses actually talking about widows. Okay, that's quite a long thing. Um, um, what does this tell us right at the beginning? So point one, we cannot actually escape the high emphasis that actually God gave to Israel for its care of widows. It was a sure litmus test as to their heart towards God, how they treated orphans and widows. Isaiah 1.17 says, Learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Proverbs 15, 25. The Lord will tear down the house of the proud, but he will establish the boundary of the widow. When they strayed from God, Israel, the first sign was the sort of casualty were 
towards the widows and the orphans and the vulnerable. So actually we saw them as being neglected at that point. And it was a very, it was a marked sign of how much are you honoring God really in your heart? Are you, is this really real for you, this faith and this obedience? Is it just something on the outside or is it genuine? And the genuineness, and, and you, if you actually did a word search on it, you'd see it just comes up time and time again. We see Elijah, some of, the, some of the really big stories that we know of are actually got a widow in the, in the center of it in the Old Testament. We, we think of Elijah uh, showing God's provision for the widow of Zarephath. Okay? We see her pitiful state in 1 Kings 17. As she's gathering sticks, she had no bread. She only had a small amount of flour that she was preparing for her son which she actually thought was going to be her final meal. And God intervenes at that point. And we know that story so well. God intervenes and actually provides for uh, not only her but her son uh, in a miraculous way. The whole book of Ruth, okay, really centers on Ruth caring for her widowed mother Naomi. And the fact is that Naomi, her mother, says, no, no, just you, you kind of almost, you look after yourself and I'm going to go and it's fine. Don't worry about me. You just make sure you're all right. And there's two sisters and Ruth says, no, I'm going to be with you. My job is with you. I'm going to stay with you. Even if that means I'm going to miss out, I'm going to miss out on a husband, all the rest of it. I'm actually going to stay with you and look after you, mum. And we see God's provision through Boaz who comes to redeem her and redeem the family. And we just see this kind of action. It's very much Boaz is seen as this Christ-like figure that is coming to redeem just as Jesus came to redeem his people in the same way. We see this wonderful story uh, in, in the book of Ruth. In Acts, flipping across in the New Testament, in Acts 6, we see the early stage of the New Testament church that actually, we see this bit as we, as we get into Acts 6, that actually it is burdened by making sure that they get the, the situation sorted out about widows. And you're thinking, and you kind of read it to start with, and you're sort of thinking, well, why are you getting so worked up about it? Just kind of like, is it really that important? <laughs> and yet... It's a, big, it's a big issue. It's so important that what's happening is that the apostles are actually getting, having to get stuck in to sort this situation out. There is uh, a, a, um, some disharmony because uh, the Greek widows felt they were missing out on the provisions compared to the Hebrew widows and so on, as we read. And actually what was happening was that the apostles were actually saying, oh, this is so important, we need to be doing it. But actually if we're doing it, then we can't be doing what we... We can't be doing the teaching and the prayer that actually we, we need to give ourselves to. So what we need to do is we need to find some really fiery, kind of filled with God men. And actually we need to get them to do it. So it wasn't just a sideline issue. Oh, for goodness sake, some women can sort that out. You know, it was actually they got their main leaders involved. And actually said, this is, that imp- this is really important for us. 
to what you see is a high priority. God is saying, if you care, this is my heart is about widows. This is my heart. I'm actually stirred about this issue. And if your religion is true, then you need, to be, you need to have the same concern that I do. And we see that coming across here in Timothy. So Paul is actually spending 14 verses actually explaining, saying this is such a key thing for us. We need to get this right. This isn't just something that is actually irrelevant. This is something which I'm saying is actually really important. And we have to face that issue, which is kind of, we look at it thinking, why have you spent so long? And then you start to realize you, it's partly because we're not catching that heart. Far from being a side issue, the care of widows is taken very seriously. Now we can say, well, hang on, Matthew. Maybe there are some valid reasons as to why this seems less urgent issue for us today. There are far more rights for women in our society, thankfully, compared to ancient times. One of the things that Jesus uh, accused the Pharisees of was devouring women's uh, widows' houses, which, is, which really meant sponging off them um, uh, try, trying to kind of say, actually, if you really care about God, you need to give, you need to give to us. That's really what he was saying. So that he was sort of sponging off these women, um, uh, and he was saying, you know, that is just so terrible. How you're, how you're dealing with that? Um, they, in the old times, they were far more vulnerable to ex- extortion than they would be today. The welfare state does have special provision for widows. So we can actually say, okay, so there are some things in place. Thankfully, there are. Rules have been made. Laws have been set. Um, Secondly, um, you you might think, well, was there just a lot more of them in those days? Um, is, Is it something that says something about the short lifespan of husbands in that day compared to today? I'm going to give you a stat in a minute just to kind of shock you on that point. Um, also, we could say thirdly that the more, I guess, morals are different. That actually a, a single woman, whether previously married or not, cohabiting with a man would have been seen as utterly unacceptable. You know, either you were a single woman living with your father and he had responsibility for you or you were a married woman under your husband's care, and if you're a widow, you kind of didn't fit into either. So that was the problem. Whereas now it's different. And fourthly, maybe health care has just hugely improved. However, listen to this. That a statistic, not very far from us, uh, is that, do you know that 25%, one in four, of men in Glasgow will not see their 65th birthday. It's actually the worst <laughs> health record in the UK. Uh, six, I mean, that's just a huge, that's a huge number. <clears throat> One in four men will, in Glasgow will not see. Uh, and interestingly, I don't know if it's related at all, but um, the murder rate per capita in Glasgow is twice the rate, twice the rate that it is in London, (laughs) which is like, gosh, I I didn't realize that. So there's just some interesting things that kind of, that are around, not not in Scotland. 
It still makes me think, however, that in the West, we've managed to absolve ourselves of our responsibility. We expect the state to do that, don't we? When in the New Testament times, it was seen as part of honoring your father and mother. Your true faith worked out in practice. And I I say West. Um, I know that if we did a poll here, okay, right now, and I particularly asked our African members, okay, and I said to you, when I ask you about your responsibility towards your parents back home, we, we would be quite shocked because many, I know, many of you here will be sending hundreds of pounds back home to look after your parents every month. Even even buying houses for them and so on. So there's kind of like, there's the kind of level of it. It's like, goodness gracious, really? Yeah, yeah. It's like, so I, there, are, there are some real things that actually we just sort of go, oh, no, no, that's not our responsibility at all. That's the state's. I'm just saying, well, I think it's worth asking some questions because you'll find that actually that's, that's just, that's just the Great Britain. Okay, that's our culture, you know. And I haven't asked some of you from, from Europe as to what your culture would be, whether you're from uh, Spain or Poland, uh, Latvia, and so on. Actually, what, you know, there, there will be a difference in view. Secondly, I want to say that I want to talk about honoring. So this thing of honoring, or as the NIV says, to, to give proper recognition to. Um, what does it mean to honor your, your parents? Okay. It, it certainly doesn't just mean to sort of um, to be gracious towards them and to kind of listen to them harp on about you know, their younger years. You know, well, I, I, I'm sitting there and I know I've just got to kind of, yeah, yeah, go on, go on. on. You know, that's kind of, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm honoring them. You know, that's kind of often sort of what we sort of feel. Oh, yeah, I'm doing a good job there. I'm kind of, you know, I'm being gracious. I mean, you know, they do go on a bit, but, you know, it's all right. Um, I want to say that, interestingly, this thing honoring, as we see it, the same thing with elders, is, is, is intricately linked to financial support. We cannot escape those two things. It's not just an attitude of kind of kind of nodding our head. It's actually financially saying, I have some responsibility. Honoring. Okay. Uh, and we see this in, um, in 1 Timothy 5, 3. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Well, that is pretty unambiguous. What he's saying is, it's not the church's responsibility, but the family's responsibility. It's your responsibility. uh, I thought it was interesting as I thought about this, we're coming up to Easter, uh, and one of our um, 
porn images is Jesus on the cross. And there he is on the cross, suffering excruciating pain. And he looks. And one of the last things he says, he looks down and he sees his mother. His father is no longer alive. Okay, Joseph is no longer alive. He sees his mother and he sees John, who's writing the story. Okay. Uh, and he looks at his mother and he says, Woman, behold. He's obviously not pointing. Woman, <laughs> I guess it's a nod of some kind. <laughs> Woman, behold your son. And then he looks at John and he says, Behold your mother. And it says, quote, From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. That's sobering, isn't it? That's like, okay, that's it. It's like, gosh, I wasn't quite expecting this. No, actually, Jesus is making sure it is that important to him that actually he hasn't, this accusation cannot come up on him that actually, well, what did you do about your mom? You're thinking, for goodness sake, you're on the cross. But he's thinking, even at that moment, I need to make sure that my mom's all right. That's a strong thing, isn't it? There are there was an expectation that children and grandchildren would take care of their widowed mum and even take them into their home. Wow. Clearly, uh, we can say these couple of things. Clearly, it was so ingrained in society that to take care, even in heathen Ephesus, and we know that Ephesus was pretty heathen, okay, that there was, when he says it's worse than an unbeliever, that actually even the unbelievers in Ephesus, there was an expectation that actually they looked after their family members and particularly their grieving widowed mothers. Okay? That's what we can draw from that, that actually this was a normal practice. It wasn't like, gosh, that's an unusual thing to say. No, no. And secondly, the fact that Paul has to underline it makes me think that, well, maybe there's sprung up some unhelpful teaching or attitude in the church that was trying to persuade family members to do otherwise. So actually, why did he have to address it? Because actually, obviously, it wasn't quite happening. Yeah? In, in terms of wheedling out of our responsibility, challenged, uh, Jesus challenged those experts in the law who just were clever at twisting the law to suit their own pockets. And he taught this thing in, in Mark 7 about the word Corban. He's saying, he's saying you guys, are, you are really clever. Uh, that actually you have managed to say to people, if you say this thing is kind of, Corban means it's kind of given over to God. So if you actually say this chunk of money that you have, if actually you say that's for us, actually, the, the teachers of the law, so it's actually set aside for God, actually, then you won't have any responsibility. You can say, oh, no, I don't have any money to help my parents <laughs> because it's actually given over. And he says, you're actually making, you're making sure you're all right and you're actually robbing these guys' parents because actually you're, you're teaching this kind of wretched law that actually turns the very point of what 
Actually, it was said for upside down. It's, the word he uses is it's invalidating the word of God. So he, he was strong on this point. He had a high regard for taking responsibility for aging parents. Thirdly, next we see that Paul, on the one hand, is concerned about the reputation of the church. Whilst being true um, that it has a compassionate heart to care for the orphans and the widows, so also that it's not overburdened. And he sets quite a high bar, okay, uh, when we look at this high bar, verse 9. He says, no, so there's this list, okay, you've got to hear the thing. There's a list, there's obviously a list that actually is saying, these are the people we are, as a church, we have complete responsibility for and is, is for us to do. And it's, that's the list. Who's on that list? And he's talking about the list. Okay, so he's saying, so this is who should go on the list. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. This, I, I might just point out, is not... this. This is not the criteria for eldership. This is the criteria for those widows that they're going to help. I mean, that's a high bar, is it not? I think it's interesting to look at, um, just a moment, to look at Anna. Do you remember who Anna was? Anna in Luke 2, who is there, and she is waiting for this, this Messiah to come. And it says this, she was advanced in years and had lived with her, her husband seven years after their marriage. So basically, they'd been married for seven years, and then, clearly he died. And then, as a widow, to the age of 84, she never left the temple, serving night and day, fastings and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak uh, of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. I just think what a brilliant example that we see in Anna of exactly this kind of upright, elderly widow that actually Paul's talking about. I think there's a number of things that we just need to pick out of this point. Um, First of all, that the church is not seen as some kind of social service a place to go for just a free handout. There are standards set, expectations of godly behavior that are spelt out, showing hospitality, devoted to good deeds, having been faithful in a marriage, raising her kids well, having a servant heart. I think, you know, these are, these are great things that, that are there. And it's just interesting that, that Paul isn't just, oh yeah, let's just, it's, no, no, we need to see people really, really following God. That's, that's who we're getting really behind here. And finally, point four, when we look at this passage, we see that after dealing with those widows that are the responsibility of their own families and those that the church will care for, there is another group, a younger group, and basically, he advises them to get remarried. It just needs a little unpacking, as it as it's, can seem a little bit confused. Um, and he says this in verse 11. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list, 
for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle, going about from house to house, and not only do they um, become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things that they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. On the one hand, he seems to be making a negative comment about younger widows that, you know, they want to marry. And then it seems that he sort of turns it around and says, well, I think they should. So what's he saying? Um, 1 Corinthians 7.39 says, so he talks, just another passage where he talks very quickly. It says, a woman is bound to her husband as long as she lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord, i.e. he must be a Christian. Okay, so you just, just bring that in. It seems that um, here that many of the younger widows in Ephesus were actually abandoning their faith in Christ and being so eager to remarry that they weren't really concerned about who they took up a relationship with, uh, whether that guy be Christian or not. Their desperation to remarry overtook their desire to please Christ. And Paul is seeing this as potentially destructive to their own walk with God. Uh, and inevitably, their involvement in church will reduce and their ability to dedicate themselves to serving him will be hampered and not helped. He also is very conscious of the fact that he doesn't want the church to get a bad name for itself. Nothing should undermine the gospel or God's name. Having a situation where it could be reported that many of the younger widows who belonged to that church were giving themselves to various sexual encounters wasn't helpful in terms of the report into the city. And for this reason, and one, over, one else that we'll see in a moment, Paul concedes that it would be best that the younger widows remarry and get focused on their children and housekeeping, albeit in line with the counsel that he gives in the passage we just read in Corinthians. With no family or husband to support, um, many of these women, as we can guess, would have actually turned to immoral means to support themselves. Um, as I said earlier, early, if they were single, they, they would be living with their dads. You know, the fact that they were now, they were like, how do I support myself? Very difficult indeed. So, so we got this problem. And his answer is, let them do this. Um, and the other thing that was happening for them, it seems, and we, we, we need to see it as the whole letter joint kind of connected up, is that this false teaching that was going on was actually affecting them. And that they were, as it says, this kind of empty chatter going about. I don't think it was just they were gossiping about one another. I think they were gossiping kind of false teaching. So they were kind of carrying this thing on um, and it was unhelpful. Okay, we get the words um, nonsense and empty or foolish is kind of how he describes it. And it's interesting when you look right at the end, uh, just look at the final scripture in 620. So this is the, this is the final, chap, final scripture in Timothy. Okay. Um, avoiding worldly... Can we just turn to that? Uh, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely 
called knowledge which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Well, here, Paul is just his wind up on the letter. He's saying to Timothy, please don't get into this false teaching. Please watch yourself on this stuff that's just empty. Um, and so there seems to be some link between the kind of false teaching that was empty and hollow and what these young widows were kind of spreading around. So I want to just wind up with some challenges for us this morning. We see, first of all, the heart of a good leader, an apostle. is not so focused on strategy and future vision of the church that they do not stop and make sure that the weak and the vulnerable are properly taken care of. Paul took a large section of this letter to help disciple Timothy in these matters. And I want to just ask us as a church, are we giving this area the attention it deserves? Are we in tune with God's heart for these people? Secondly, there is a glaring responsibility for us to care for those, first of all, in our own families. To not do so is worse than unbelievers. Do you think that maybe we've become so immersed sometimes in our Western worldview that we are now abdicating what God has apportioned for us to do. And thirdly, sound doctrine. True godliness keeps us firmly rooted to working it out here and now, caring, showing God's love in very tangible ways. False teaching, odd, wacky teaching divorces us from the world to one that has a pretense of care without actually doing anything about it. I think that there could be a danger in our culture of social media that we become experts in empty chatter and opposing arguments and neglect our God-given responsibilities for real family and those that are more vulnerable within the church. And we wouldn't want at the end Christ's kind of assessment made of us of saying, actually, you invalidated the word of God because of the way that you interpreted it. Okay, so let's not make that mistake. Um, we need to ask the question, who is my neighbor? How can I demonstrate the love of God to this person and let my honoring be practical and not merely in talk? Yeah. Let's just pray. I'm just going to leave it there. Uh, Give them time. Lord, I thank you, Father, for this passage. I thank you, Lord, that at times we would just skip over this in our own reading and we just kind of not see what you're trying to say to us by it. Uh, And I I, I pray, Father, that you help us to really be sobered and to uh, be aware of your heart for the vulnerable. Um, And I, I pray, Lord, that you would help us individually and as a church to continue in this uh, practical outworking of the love of God uh, that actually is caring for others, caring for the vulnerable. And we just know, God, as we do that, and as we do that well, that actually you bless us. You're, You're pleased with it. You're saying, yeah, that's exactly my heart, and that's exactly what I want you to do. You're doing, you're right in line with actually what is on my heart. Lord, we want to be like that as a church and as individuals. Amen.